What's up, what's up, bitches? We have a super exciting guest today. I'm sitting here with Elena Hester, who is uh, from Tell Me Lies. She was Stephen DeMarco's little sister, Sadie. And then after connecting with her, I found out she was on Dope Sick too. So I'm, I've, I've seen both now, and I'm so excited that you're here on the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You have and thank you for watching both shows. I love to support in any way that I can. You have the cutest voice, and it's not what I was expecting. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, most people most people expect me to have sort of like a a higher pitch voice, but I like and like a I don't know. I think most people expect me to be like kind of quiet and high pitched and like cute little girly voice, and then I'm like deep <laughs> southern drawl deep southern drawl yeah <laughs> and like in tell me lies your character has such a like no accent like it sounds like me when i speak so i thought right. when i watched dope sick that you had to learn an accent for that like series right yeah so actually dope sick is closer to what my real accent is so that was the the first role that I did like I did that one before tell me lies and uh it was perfect because that was like that's closer to what my real accent is I mean we like for that we had to to bump it up to a little more like West Virginia style so my accent is, is a little less strong than it is in the show but not by much <laughs> but with Sadie yeah that was Sadie is uh I'm glad that you couldn't pick up on any distinct accent because that means I did I did my job I even watched it like right before we got on here and I can play like a really quick clip of you as Sadie yeah. because it's so different um hopefully you can hear this I don't know if you could hear that, but it was when you were in the car with Steven talking about the holidays, and I may have recorded oh, yeah. that too low, but it sounds just like me, weirdly kind of high um, when you're in there. Yeah, and how I would say it normally is weirdly kind of high. <laughs> exactly. And I have to watch myself because I don't know why, but if I sit here long enough, I'm going to end up sounding like you. Like, I'm going to end up imitating <laughs> this, like, back at you by accident. I tend to have that effect on people. Oh, yeah, you're just so easy to rub off on them. So, how old are you? Let's start with that for people who are completely unfamiliar with you. I am 21. So, I'm, well, 21 and a half. Okay, perfect. So, how are you liking 21? Has it been an adjustment? It's, um, a little bit. I'd say, I'd say a lot of things have changed about myself since I turned 21. Um, like, not like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just figuring out more about who I am and, and who like who I feel comfortable being in myself. I don't like, I don't know how to describe it. I've just like, I've shifted personalities so many times over the course of my life and at the root of it, like I've always been me at the core. But as far as like little things about myself, I'm, I'm always figuring that out. And 21, I feel like it's been a big adjustment year for me. Absolutely, I feel like I feel like that's actually makes a lot of sense. Um, I know that like cellularly every seven years we completely change. Like all of the cells that were in our body seven years ago aren't there when it's, and it's like future seven years. So like 
anatomy-wise, we change every seven years. So it makes sense that as we evolve as people, we're changing that much you know, with our bodies, like our personalities, how could we stay the same? We're always going to grow and take on something new. Right. And And I know, I know a lot of people that have like just sort of stayed pretty, pretty consistent throughout their whole life. But that's like, and that's, that works for some people. I think I've just like, I don't know, maybe it's just all the stuff that like, Every time I go through something, it it changes me, and then I continue to change as I reflect on those things. So yeah, it's it's fun evolving and and figuring out the like deeper parts of yourself that you haven't explored before. Maybe like we're too scared to explore. Like just finding who you are and being being comfortable in that. I think it's very important, especially with the job that I have because literally like you have to put all of you out there and there's like you you don't get to keep much for yourself as far as like who you are because it's all on the screen for one character or another so I think like especially for actors like this this business has actually calls me the most probably reflection and and change which is interesting how did you get into this business because you're young and i'm hearing you talk about this and i would imagine that you found yourself and your passion for the arts kind of young like did you get into this like in high school and then develop your first role so no i'm i'm from i'm from a very small town in the middle of nowhere in north carolina so my family my friend, nobody knows anything about the business. Like, we do not have an acting studio within, like, we have one within, like, an hour from here. So there's, like, th- this is completely, there's not even really theater culture around here. Like, this, it is just completely sort of, like, we had no theater stuff in high school, none of that. So I um, just, like, randomly decided... Okay, so to preface this, both of my parents are doctors, so this is not a creative household, but I always knew that, like, I tried to sort of push myself into that. My parents never did. They've been very supportive of whatever I want to do, but I tried to sort of push myself into that. Like, I wanted to go to Duke. I wanted to be a doctor, and, like, that was, like, I was very good in school and consistent and everything, and then, like, I always had this sort of creative side within me that was so like powerful I just didn't have an outlet because it wasn't really accepted much around here because like this is sort of the culture of you grow up in this town you stay in this town you you know do whatever job your parents did or you know some normal like nine to five job which is there's nothing wrong with that like i this community is amazing it just wasn't it was not me at all but i tried to sort of suppress that and then like whenever so the day after i turned 16 is when i started acting classes and that was like i just sort of after I went through all the stuff when I was 15 that we'll get into, that, like, my entire perspective shifted, and I was like, okay, I've always been the shy, like, super studious, whatever, like, I 
I want to do the craziest, most unexpected thing that I could possibly do. Like, like I have seen the darker sides of life and like, I want to take full advantage and just like do something crazy. And so I was like, you know, I, I guess I'll just like look for an acting class, like somewhere within a hundred miles. And so I started Googling and, um, so I, I took my first class the day after I turned 16 and, um, it's a studio about an hour and 15 minutes away from here. It's in Wilmington, North Carolina. And, um, cause I'm currently home at my parents' house right now in North Carolina. So small, small town vibes. Here we are. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I took, I would take a drive to my acting studio in Wilmington and I did that every week for like five years, every single week. And I'd go like multiple times a week for auditions, class, whatever. And like, I just, I did, I like, after my first class, I loved it so much that I just like, I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm good at this, but we're going to see, we're going to test it out. We're going to keep going. So I started with like a, a one week summer camp sort of thing. So I was doing it every day and I was like, and over the course of the week, like I knew I really liked it the first day I did it. But then like, as the days progressed on, I was like, I don't know, I could kind of see myself like maybe doing this more. And so I enrolled in like a monthly class and then I literally did not miss a month for like, I think it was like four and a half years before I bo booked Dope Sick. No, three and a half, three. Mm, it was a lot of years. I don't remember how many, but it was until I booked Dope Sick, it was consistent every single month. And then after I finished filming Dope Sick, I went back to classes again every month and, and I still go, um, I still go now, like not really to class. I'm not home enough to like be enrolled in a class, but whenever I'm home and like my schedule allows, I'll still go visit those people there. Like acting studios have such a strong community. That's, that's really, really been helpful for me through, through a lot. Not, not only like for acting purposes, but for just like community like right. it's so important and my acting coaches Ron Falica and Allie McCulloch are incredible they they brought me up from the very beginning they're the owners of the studio and they're just like they're they're family to me now and so are all the the people I did class with there and it's just it's a really it's a really great really great community it's a studio called actors arsenal in wilmington so if anybody in in north carolina in the area wanting to to try out acting classes that's the place to go i love that you gave it a plug because i was gonna ask <laughs> usually people like when i hear stories their their parents are either in hollywood or they live literally in los angeles with the conveniency of having schools with a great arts program and just growing up seeing people get into you know acting so i think it's super refreshing and also really inspiring that you found it on your own and you didn't have to be super established it was just consistency and hard work for those three and a half years and going back to when you were 15 i think that that's you were an athlete and i think that your level of dedication with how often your training was really ended up helping you um when you started your acting um, training as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. I've, I'll, I'll always say like, 
sports and especially like the sports that I was involved in require such a high level of dedication that it's like that that prepares you for for a lot even things that are not related to the sport itself right and let's talk a little bit like if you don't mind saying to listeners what happened medically like when you were 15 that took you out of sports so okay so i was i did gymnastics for five years and i did cheerleading for four and a half years and that was like gymnastics was my identity like that was who i was i was the girl that could show up all the guys in the gym class like i was the tiny girl with the pink bow in my hair and like i i was just like happy-go-lucky like whatever. stick it like, the movie yes yes that was that was me and i was i was just having like having a jolly old time but i worked my butt off like i trained 20 hours a week for gymnastics and it was i did that for five years like consistently so and that's like you miss a day of practice and you come back and you're like oh my god i feel like i've aged 80 years like this is not something you can just like go a week and skip a week like it's like dance moms like abby lee miller Yes. Yes. It's like you have to be there every single day or your muscles will not like do as well. Like it's so it's so crazy. You come back after a weekend and you even feel like a little bit out of practice or whatever. So it takes so much dedication to show up every day, especially when you're there for four hours at a time and you're exhausted still from the day before. And if you have an injury, you have anything, you strap up and you keep going. Like I would have to like take take breaks to like stretch out, I had some back issues. I would have to like take breaks to stretch out my back, like my back injury and just like wrap it up if I could and then just keep going. Like you just, it, whatever it takes. You no have time to for pain. Yeah, there's, there's no time, unless you have a serious injury. Like one time when I was, uh, I think I was 14 maybe, and uh, I fell I fell off the balance beam. I was doing like a, a round off on the balance beam. And my feet, when I, you land with two feet and one of my feet landed off the beam. So mm. I fell backwards and I fell onto my neck and my whole body Ugh. came down over me. Yeah, so I was like, I was walking around in a neck brace. Like debilitated, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, but that didn't like completely take me out. It took me out for like a week, and then I was like, no, I'm back. Oh my <laughs> so God. it's like, because you literally, you cannot miss time. Like, okay, anyway, so that's a preface of right. like the dedication and everything that it takes for that. But, um, so my sort of identity was completely wrapped up in that and then i had that all taken away from me when i was 15. so i i like had this condition called pectus excavatum it's where like your chest instead of growing like this like a normal person mine was growing in like this right. So my chest like wall, like my sternum was, was essentially crushing the organs underneath it. So like my, uh, on my CAD scan, like you saw my heart like squish like a hot dog, like a normal heart looks like this. Mine look like that. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So it was causing like lung issues, digestion issues, heart issues, like 
just all this weird stuff that I had never had before. And I felt like instead of in gymnastics, like I was working so hard and I was going backwards. It was like my stamina was decreasing. I wasn't doing as well as my teammates. My scores in competition weren't as good. Like I was, I was just sort of really disappointed in myself. Cause I thought like, I thought like maybe, maybe I'm not working hard enough. Maybe I'm not like doing doing the right thing maybe I'm just not meant to do this maybe I'm not as strong as everybody else like I went through all all the motions and then when I was finally diagnosed with that it was like sort of all my worst fears come true because instead of it being something that I could work on it was like you're done you're done right you're done with everything mm -hmm. like that's it you've had your and run. yeah and so my like it, it, I always had it, like I always had that condition, but it didn't get bad enough until I was like 15 to right. actually be diagnosed. So, um, and we went to so many doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me, like, cause that's such a rare condition. So we went like all over the place, like trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And I got diagnosed with this and that and like whatever, and the treatments weren't helping. And so then uh, my dad's a doctor. Well, I mean, both my parents are a doctor and my dad was like, okay, nobody else can figure you out. I'm going to figure you out. And he was like, he was like, I just need you to come into my office. I'm going to look at you. We're going to get this figured out. And he was like, your chest is like a cone. And I was like, he was like, that doesn't look normal. So I was like, okay. And so he like started doing some research and he found a doctor in Raleigh at Wake Medical, and um, his name is Dr. Phillips. Shout out, Dr. Phillips. Um, and uh, so they did a they did a CAT scan on me, and they were like, "Yeah, that's that's what's wrong with you. Like you're like there's a certain level of indentation that like is cause for like worry. Like you probably need a surgery." And mine was like one and a half times that I think, or like two times that or something like it was really bad so um they basically were like okay so to fix this we're gonna have to take two giant metal bars about this long about that thick and we're gonna have to shove them through your ribs and essentially stretch your sternum to the point of it almost breaking in order to <laughs> keep your away from your organs oh my gosh yeah so they like cut me open on the sides and they took those metal bars and slid them through my ribs and then secured them with metal plates on the outside and like you could feel the bars from the outside like you could see them and I was I was really thin by that point because I, I wasn't eating well or anything either so that was like a lot yeah at 15 like pivotal years literally takes away your identity like I don't I don't know 15 14 15 16 those are like such key years I feel like right figuring out who you are and like like just all the hormones and all the like all your pride is you know high school like whatever and it just completely stripped me of everything I had going and was like, you're going to be stuck in a hospital bed for months now. And when you get up, you're not going to be able to do anything. And so that was, that was a lot. Like I was, 
like at this key time when you're trying to like figure out who you are and establish your independence like I had to literally rely on my parents to do anything I couldn't sit up in bed I couldn't stand up I couldn't shower by myself I couldn't use the toilet by myself like I couldn't do anything like they had to do everything for me I had a little bell that I could reach out my arm and grab and ring it if I needed something and then they would have to do the rest for me because like you think about it like your chest is the central part of everything right you can't you can't lift your arms you can't do anything like I think I think there was something like I think it's classified as one of the top three most painful surgeries that you can have like ever and so I was like okay well that's great I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad that I get to experience this um but yeah, I, it I sounds painful. Like, I'm sorry to interject, but that yeah. sounds so painful. And it sounds like it would be also a bug out. Cause you can't just forget that that's inside of you. Like to be mm -hmm. able to fit, to see it, you know, like there's no forgetting that. And that's almost like a mental game of staying calm too. Cause what you can't do anything about it. Like you had to have that. So you're kind of in that position where what else can you do? Right, and I had to keep those bars in for two and a half years. So from the time that I was 15 to almost 18, I had those in my chest. Um, and the recovery took a few months. Um, I was in the hospital for a bit, and then when I came home, they had to install a hospital bed in my parents' bedroom. And I had to sleep in that for months. So it was like, even when I was out of the hospital, I was in my own little confined hospital at home. Like, could never be by myself. Always had to have, like, somebody to do something for me. And this was like, I mean, it was a prime time of, like, establishing your independence. It was so crazy to be completely codependent on somebody else to live for you. And that was, that was also heartbreaking for me in a way because like my parents work so hard for their jobs and for everything that they do and they had to like switch off compromising that sort of like they had to one of them had to be me essentially right at all times and that was like that was one of the hardest parts of it I think because like watching them experience what I was going through not only like mentally like it's hard for them but also physically they always have to be here right like that's yeah that's a lot but um my lung collapsed after the surgery as well so I had to work on reinflating that which is obviously very difficult and painful because every time you breathe your chest moves so I was constantly feeling those bars in there and like like trying to do my breathing exercises I mean not to get too dark but I just I would just scream right like I like it hurt so bad um and I'm not I'm not a wuss when it comes to pain like it was it's bad so right. so I had to work on like reinflating that and so I was going about my recovery uh, for about a month and I was not getting any better. I was getting worse actually. And then 
I was like, okay, if I lay down, I literally cannot breathe. One day, about a month later, I was like, I cannot breathe if I lay down. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's an issue. I don't know if that's normal. But, like, I, I'm, like, feeling like I can't breathe. And it's starting to, like, get worse. So, they took me back to the doctor. And when they laid me down to do an x-ray of my chest, I stopped breathing. Like, completely. So basically what they saw like there were two liters like a two liter bottle of coke or whatever there were two liters of fluid sitting on top of my lungs mm. i'd had some sort of reaction to the surgery and essentially like fluid was just little by little crushing my lungs so i was gradually getting worse and worse like breathing until the point where i was almost dead so they rushed me to the hospital and put in a chest tube and uh, that knocked me out again for a bit. I had to stay in the hospital again. The chest tube was really, really painful because I was like part conscious. Like I wasn't com really conscious, but I was like, I could feel it. Like I was there. So it was like, like I couldn't feel it fully. It wasn't like I was completely awake, but like I could feel it enough for it to be painful. Like, and terrifying what's going yeah on. yes yeah so that was like that was a big setback and that was this was all around the holidays too my first surgery was right before thanksgiving my second surgery was uh i came home i think on christmas eve so um you know it was just it was that was that was very difficult putting into perspective that it makes sense why after you finished that and you've been bedridden and you've been without your friends and you've been without the opportunities to find your identity that you wanted to do something as crazy as possible and see if it sticks it, it makes sense how you took that transition even further yeah. when you explain that into acting and just doing what you wanted to do right what did you do about school does that did this set you back in your studies did you have to go did you have to do homeschooling um. So it's, it definitely set me back, but thankfully there's a system in place for people that have to do like at home school just for a season. So my teachers were very gracious in getting all the assignments and learning material and everything to this one guy who would bring it to my house every few days and he would bring all my work and all my study material and like tell me what I needed to do on the computer and stuff. and. It was difficult to study while, you know, not really being able to move. And I, I just got really behind in my work because I, I was not um, mentally there enough right. to, to be able to do my work in the first couple weeks. So I, I had a lot of stuff to catch up on. It got really overwhelming, like having to do it by myself. Um, and like the only good thing about school for like I, I wasn't a person that particularly enjoyed school um but the only good part about it for me was getting to see people interact with people and then suddenly it's like okay I'm stuck in my room and also I have to do all this work like right. it was it was like I'm a hard worker but I I like like socialization like, yeah and I like doing stuff that I enjoy right. like 
yeah, and I, I did not enjoy school. So it was like, I worked so hard. I was like, I have to be the best. I was still like that. But I, I like, it was just, it was a difficult time, especially having to do it alone at home. But my teachers were very like, very understanding and, and super like down to make sure I could still graduate on time. Um, even, even if I couldn't take as many AP classes or, or whatever, like I wanted to, like, I would still be on track to graduate. This is, this episode is making North Carolina sound better and better. Like at least, <laughs> at least where you're at. I mean, they've got the acting classes, they've got the good doctors. I mean, they've got the supportive teachers, mm-hmm. like snaps for North Carolina. I'm really happy that you had that because I can't even imagine going through that with the bad support system. I, I, I think that that would be truly soul crushing and it sounds like your experience already could have been like for a lot of people. Um, but thank God that you had like the tools in place to help you move through that. And for thank real. God you are where you are now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, like so many years later. Yeah. Yeah. I think like growing up in a small town community is so important to everybody because you literally like I was talking to my mom the other day we were going somewhere and I thought it was so funny like as people were driving by I was like oh there goes Jennifer there goes (laughs) whatever you know like I was you know everybody and my parents own the local pharmacy so we really know everybody totally yeah, because everybody in this town gets their medicine there. And, you know, that's that's just like, we, you know everyone here. So everybody, like, I, I find out new people I'm related to every day. I'm like, that's I'm so like, cute. Like all my, like, friends from when I was younger, I'm like, oh, that's my great aunt's sister's grandson. No like, wonder I, we got on so well. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're related. <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 one of it's one of those that you like it it really is like a like a movie like a little movie town so you're from a small town which is kind of similar to your character on tell me lies Mm -hmm. because like sadie and steven their characters are supposed to be from this really small town in bayville so that part of your character wasn't that big of a stretch for you yeah, yeah, I think I think when it comes to like the the small town aspect, we didn't really explore uh too much of that. I mean, there was the whole like, well, no, I don't want to spoil anything. There was <laughs> there was like a there was a little bit of that aspect to it, but you know, the the kind of small town that I'm used to is is um people that talk like this or right. worse. <laughs> right. So, so that, that didn't like factor in too much, but yeah, as far as like the, the community aspect goes through like everything that I've been through, I can't imagine doing that without like, I mean, the entire community has rallied around me. Like that's. And your acting community too. That's what, that's what you were saying before. So it's, it's great that you had that in place when you actually got your first role. How did they respond? They were. Um, so my first role, like my first ever role was I worked one day 
on one project called Tell Me Your Secrets. So there's Tell Me Lies, Tell Me Your Secrets, you know, like we're just telling people all the things, I guess. And so um, just tell me all the things. Yeah. So um, that was my first, that was my first job. And I worked, I worked on that for one day. I was like, I was like a cop was chasing me and I was running around a stairwell and like injecting myself with something and like all dark and mysterious, but I said no words. I, ha I had no words <laughs> and, so, and that was it. So that was like, that was my first ever thing, but they were still excited. You know, they were like, Oh my there God. She is. Is. 100%. <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> it was your and first so, role. And then dope sick was after, right? Dope sick was the very next thing. Yes. So I, so I went from like one credit one day to sharing the screen with Michael Keaton for the course of an entire series. Like, crazy. He's such a legend. I'm so yeah. impressed that you got the opportunity to work with both Michael Keaton in Dope Sick and Katie Seagal on Tell Me Lies. Yeah. Because both Thank of them you. are icons. Yes. I, I'm so, like, I love that I get to work with these super influential people and in every scenario it's just been so normal it's really like i've really had great experiences with these people like just they're just normal people and that's something you don't realize before you go into it um i mean with like with the the bigger names that i've worked with i've sort of um I've prepared for it like I prepare for anything else. So it's like I've gone into it thinking that they're just going to be normal people and then and I have not been disappointed yet. So I'm I'm glad that like yeah, it's just it's been it's been a great it's been a great experience on working every with set. And you and you've like had a special relationship with each of them like in the shows like because in Dope Sick, Michael Keaton was essentially your doctor, but you were so close to him that it, it like made me cry multiple times when he was saying how like he delivered you, so he was gonna be there for you, and you're sitting with him. And then in Tell Me Lies, like Katie Seagal played your mother, so yeah, like you had a really close relationship with both Hollywood stars. And complete opposite relationships too. <laughs> we have we have sweet doctor, abusive mother. <laughs> what did you like? How was it playing that? Like when you read the script, did you kind of think like, this is how I would feel if I was the daughter of someone behaving this way? Or how did you kind of like get into character? I, um, for that, I sort of like. Yes. I mean, like, we, we always go into it like this, this is sort of me in this situation. Um, but there's deeper, there's some deeper levels to it. Um, it's hard to like explain the process totally. exactly, but it's, uh, I mean, my, my parents are super, super supportive, it, like great absolutely. parents. So, you know, it was a very, it was a, a very different dynamic for me that, um, you know, I just, I worked with the producers uh, to help figure out this, this dynamic and, and how 
someone would really be in that sort of situation. Like, um, you know, I think a lot of actors would have the instinct to play it just, um, just victim mentality, sort of. Like, uh, especially because, I mean, Sadie, in my opinion, is like one of the only sane people in the show. <laughs> and so I think, like, it's very easy to go just like victim mentality, but the reality of that sort of character is like, yes, there's a lot of darkness that they are keeping inside and sort of having to hold back and like, cover up anger but in order to survive they've developed coping mechanisms to sort of drown that out in in whatever way they can just to just to make it through so there's like i think for sadie like playing that was so interesting because she's such a confident like sort of go go for it like say what she's thinking girl but underneath there's so there's so much there like so much trauma and and darkness from all this stuff she's experienced and she wants to get out but she doesn't know how and like you're yeah. right it's so interesting too because like I just wa rewatched the Christmas episode before we got on here so that I could really mm -hmm. see like like you know like one of the episodes that you're in the most and mm -hmm. you're and Sadie does call the mom out like it takes a little bit because everyone tries to give their mother some leeway so I, I like the fact that your character does that too it's not realistic to get home and just start screaming at your mom most right. of the time most people try to have some pre um, they try to like hold that off a little bit right but and also because our mother will will react aggressively to things so you have to be careful you have to pick and choose your battles with her because she will she will come back at you with like whatever you say she's gonna double that and give it back to you so it's sort of like sadie's also like for her own sake tiptoeing around when to fight the battles and she sort of like there's some moments when she gets so overwhelmed with the filming with the feeling that she can't hold it back she just like she lets it go um but i think i think a lot of time it stays i mean it definitely she the mother deserves a lot more than sadie gives her totally but out of the three of them she's the one that that gives her the most Agreed. because like she she's been at home alone with her while steven's at college Vince is off work in business, whatever, like, Sadie is the one that's had to deal with the crap, like, all the time by herself. Like, can you imagine being trapped in a house alone with Nora no. for years? That's crazy. I would that's be frightened. So and, like, and you're yeah. right, like, whatever you say, she does worse. Because now that I'm thinking about it, once you said something to her, she got rid of your cat. So she punished yeah. you. You know what I mean? Like it was like your character yeah. called her on it. And then all of a sudden your cat that you loved, like the one thing in the house, like the only one thing that made you feel happy, she let out the door. So that was right. very telling on your dynamic as well. Yeah, I'm glad that that read too because the, the cat, the whole cat thing, I mean, that was heartbreaking for me reading the script. Like it's such a silly little thing, but like that was so... That was just like, 
the kicker at the Same. like that was the last scene that you saw Sadie yep. in that episode, mm -hmm. and it's like, wow, right. that really happened. Yeah, that's there. That's the dynamic that she's stuck in, and like this one, like you were saying, this one thing that's that's hers. Like this right. one thing that is a living being other than the abusive mother is now gone like like i mean we we don't know he could have just been like right. on the back porch or whatever but, but it's still right yeah the principle of like just choosing let to let go of it just yeah. choosing for you to get rid of it and also yeah. um what was i gonna say and sees like how nora is but it's interesting because you have a soft spot for steven and does sadie see steven's abusiveness and manipulative side or does that is is that not something that her character has experienced? So I think that like okay, so um basically with with Nora, she the abuse is is directed towards her. Ah, here it is, I found it. Okay. Wait. Yay. Yes, I did. Okay. Um Okay. Yes. Okay. I remember now. Okay. So first of all, that's a great question. <laughs> um, so Sadie, she grew up in the same house as Steven. So uh, I'm trying to dis disguise my accent again. I don't know. It's like, it just happens sometimes. Okay. This is great. Caught in the wild. Here she is. Here she is. <laughs> so Sadie grew up in the same house as Steven. So she has definitely seen his darker side before. But I think maybe it's never been directed towards her. So I don't think she knows, like, quite the full extent of his darker side yet. But I think, like, the the key thing in their soft spots for each other, like, she understands why he is the way he is. And, like, she's probably the only person that understands why he is the way he is and so it's like she i think she she doesn't know the full extent of his sort of dark side but if she did i don't think it would would severely taint her image of him like i don't think their relationship is contingent upon what she does and doesn't know about him right because they're family and they came from the same spot and they have had to claw their way out together so i think like i mean there's maybe somewhere deep down inside of sadie she has some like toxic traits that are just better disguised or better dealt with than stevens and maybe we just haven't like explored that in the series yet you know like absolutely like, growing up in that house, there's no way she just turned out perfect, you know? No. So there's, there's gotta be something there that, like, I think they're, like, maybe they're more similar. Yes. Deep down than we've, we've seen so far. But I think she sort of, um, that's the only time that you ever really see Steven's soft side spot. totally yeah like that's such a it's such a beautiful dynamic i think because like it's just so it, everything is chaotic 
terrible things are happening left and right, but the two of them understand right. each other. And even if they wouldn't agree on everything, they're still them. They will always be them. Did you, you know? read the book? No, I did not. Let me tell you, like, are you planning on reading it? I'm just about to spoil it, so i No, I I don't, I think, like, with with the whole book thing, I didn't necessarily want to read it because I didn't want it to taint my image of the, the characters in any way. I wanted to go in with the full, like, idea of what they wanted for them in this series. So, and Sadie's not in the book, I don't believe. I, they, right, they she's mention, not. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So I was like, you know, I just want to go in with an open mind about Steven. Totally. Yeah. I'm glad I'm, that you did that because, like, in the show gives him softness that the book does not. Like, in the mm -hmm. book, I, I'm, I think he has one sibling, like an older brother, that he's, like, very mm -hmm. spiteful about. Um, but in the book, he's genuinely a sociopath. So he right. has no no feelings. He's a narcissist and a sociopath. So in the show, right. it is interesting to see that softer side. And I think it's necessary because if we didn't have that, I think his character would just be super hateable. Like there would be nothing yeah. appealing about him at all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that's what he's told me so many times. Like he said, like Sadie and Steven's dynamic, he was like, this is, this was such an important role for me. And like this, this casting process had to be so specific because this is the one person where Steven is going to feel more just honest. Yeah. Like you should see like humanity. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like his one redeeming like quality thing of the whole show. Like there's, there's this whole like, you know, toxic dynamic with the mom, which explains why he is the way he is sort of, but like, it doesn't necessarily redeem him because it's like, okay, well, he's still, like, we understand and maybe have a little more sympathy for him, but it's like, it still doesn't excuse him to carry on that behavior. So when we see his, his softer side with Sadie, it's like he has the capability to care for someone. And that's, like, truly care for someone. And right. that, I think that's the first time that we see that. Maybe the only time in the series that we see that, like, fully. Like, there was not a single time where he did something for Sadie, expecting something in return or out of his own motives. Like, True. yeah, I thought that, yeah. It's interesting that Jackson White, like, acknowledges that to you, like, you mm -hmm. know, outside of it. What What is he like? Because he plays such a horrible person that it's I had to watch a couple interviews with him to be like oh, okay he's nice you know what I mean like yeah. what what is he actually like yeah so um okay well Katie and Jackson they both play villains but they're both angels in real life like they're you know like Katie it's so funny because she always plays the villain in everything yeah like she's always the villain sons of anarchy but villain yeah, like you take you take her character in the show, Nora, you like make that the complete opposite and that's the type of mom that Katie is. I assume you know that Katie is Jackson's mom yes, in real life. I do. Yeah. Yeah, so it was so funny the first day that I got to set. Um I like when I came in and like 
uh, Katie got there and she was meeting me and she was like, oh my God, I loved you in Dope Sick. I was like, you know who I am? That's crazy. And so I was like, <laughs> that's I was so like, good. I know. I was like, whoa, that's, that's wild. And then she leans in and she gets really quiet and she's, she smiles. She's like, Jackson's a really big fan. He was really excited about this. <laughs> oh my like, gosh, that's so cute. And that's epic. <laughs> It was the sweetest thing ever. And so I was like, they just made me feel so at home right from the start. Like, we we meshed like none other. Like, it was, it was very, the family dynamic read really well, I think, because, like, we all developed such a fun relationship in real life. And, like, Jackson like that's that's my brother like in like in real life like he really feels like an older older brother to me and um that's so it's, special it's, yeah it's it's so rare that you find such a strong bond off screen like something something so strong off screen that it translates on screen just completely naturally yeah like that was I, th I think that was super special for us and like our our relationship on screen I'd say is is very similar to our relation off screen like I think we understand each other on a level that's hard to find like like Steven and Sadie do like yep we like no matter what kind of day we're having or like how tired we are like whatever like you put us in the same room and something stupid's gonna happen like, like cut from the same cloth like you guys just get each other kind of yeah yeah and it's it's so we have a we have a lot of fun together like the the cameras when the cameras are off like we're we're cutting up and you know like just i don't know we're just I'm so silly. glad to hear that so he's nice yeah. off camera and so is katie seagal and i was yeah. i was really curious about that because like i said he played the villain so well that if i hadn't seen him in an interview like i i wouldn't know what he was like but he seems very much like the like sarcastic cigarette smoking like chill like that's what he seems like off camera too like that's just him mm -hmm. Yep, black he smokes, coffee. Smokes a lot of yep. <laughs> like that's black coffee. I don't know. I don't he likes coffee. I don't I don't know what Yeah, I, I know, know like he... niche, but like let him know that the world thinks that he would take it black. Like I think he would drink it black <laughs> and then have a cigarette right after. Yeah, I think he I think on the outside he can like he can come off as uh edgy. Like you think Yeah, and like well like before like before you talk to him, I think you can be sort of like intimidated like I wasn't sure like I just I'd like uh before I met him I sort of had this like idea of him in my head and it was like not like a bad idea or anything right. I just like he was he was completely different than than I thought he was gonna be and he's like he's he's got a like super tough exterior but he's like he's he, he has I like mean, resting bitch me. face like you know how girl yeah, yeah that's it is yeah i do too. so we like <laughs> it was perfect <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like it's crazy how like we've been told we look scarily alike like apparently we look alike you do actually yeah and so that was interesting because a lot of people thought that we were like actually siblings because like Katie is his actual mom, so they're like, oh, it's just like a the whole like family, a, like, 
Hacking family. <laughs> and he's like, um, so we just met today. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, that, that was, it's super, super fun. They're super fun to be around. And like, um, on, like there was one weekend where me and him and Katie and then, uh, Katie's daughter with Jackson's sister, um, and Grace and some of the executive producers and the guy that plays Wrigley, Spencer, Spencer House. Yeah, we all went to, um, we went to a dinner in downtown Atlanta and then went to, like, this little concert and, like, we just had the best time, Cute. like, just vibing. Yeah, it was so, it was so fun. Like, they're such cool people to just hang around and Grace is, Grace is an angel. She's, she's very sweet and we didn't get to, like, actually work together on screen. But um, off screen, we got to spend some time together, and that that was really special. It's really cool to hear that they're so nice and like sweet off screen because it makes it a lot like more fun to watch the show. You know what I mean? Like especially when you know that the cast like is getting along and has that chemistry, it reads across screen that way, and it makes you feel like right. they know each other in real life. Right, and I think Stephen and Sadie find solace in each other and I think that translates really well because that's like it's just us in real life and I think like you know the the dynamic between Jackson and Katie on screen I think was so powerful because even though that's not their relationship at all in real life it is still they still have that connection like they're still a super strong bond there whether that be you know like it's a great bond in real life but even though it's a completely different dynamic on screen just just the connection itself is is really powerful and I think that's like I think that's something that I'm really glad translated well on camera for the whole family dynamic and um Oh, and, and I have another story. So my last, so my last day, my last day on set, I was like, I was already getting like, I was getting emotional as soon as we wrapped. And I was like, cause it, it had just been such a special experience. And so I, I started getting like emotional and I was like, keep it together, keep it together. Okay. We're going to go back to the trailer. We're going to be fine. And, uh, we get in the van and Jackson looks over at me and he just, he knows. And he goes, how you holding up? And I was like, nah. <laughs> Pretty bad. I just, I just started crying and he just like, he grabs my hand and just holds it as we like ride back to the trailer. It was such a sweet, like big brotherly moment. Yeah. And, um, so we did not want to say like goodbye to each other yet. So before I left, like the last day that I was in town, he, um, he picked me up and we went, we got kids meals and then we went to H&M and picked out, uh, stupid outfits for each other to try on. I love um, that. Yeah, it was great. It was it was a fun. Wait, time. we have so, to make one joke really quick too, because like I made yeah. a TikTok about this. Tell me, like, did Steven's hair, his long hair, look more real in real life? Because I died when I found out that he wasn't wearing a wig. Like, I couldn't even believe he could grow that, like, from his head. Like, I don't, I don't know why, but like that wedding. Did you ever see the hair long? 
Okay, so here's the thing, right? I literally, I saw your TikTok. Oh, good. And <laughs> I, I ran downstairs and I told my parents, I was like, guys, you will not believe it. Jackson's hair was real. <laughs> Because I never, I never met him when he had the long hair. Yes. Because they, they didn't cast me until closer to filming episode five. And they filmed that long hair scene apparently right at the very beginning. Right. I thought it was a wig. So many people have asked me about the wig. I'm going to be honest. Let's so many go. People <laughs> I knew I wasn't being a mean girl. Like, I knew I wasn't just being mean because, like, I love him. He's <laughs> iconic. But I thought wig, wig, wig. And when Jenny Lynn was on my pod and she's like, no, it was his real hair. We had to shave it. I almost couldn't continue the interview. It was like, that's all I needed to know because this is crazy. Yeah, I that was crazy for me. I'm finding out with you. Good. We're in this We're in together. this together. <laughs> so I have to say, I think that I could do literally talk to you for like a whole other hour. So I almost don't want to get into dope sick because I feel like there's so much good stuff to talk about. Would you be down to do like a second episode, like a part two and schedule one together in the future? That way we can talk about, I really want to talk about what the show is about. I want to talk about what happened after. And I just kind of want to talk about just overall like how you look at life now and just like some maybe just some like some goals that you have in the next five years that we could talk about and that could be like a whole episode yeah that sounds great okay cool I would love to do that because I feel like this episode we brought the tell me lies tea we set the seed for dope sick so that we can really elaborate on it but I would love to bring you back so that we can fully like shine all the light that it deserves on that show yeah, that sounds great. Okay, love it. So I'd let me think if I have anything else. Oh, yeah. So for people who want to follow you so that they can keep up and like listen, look for part two, what's your social media handle? So I am Elena Hester R on all social medias. My my name is like because Elena Hester was taken, so I so I did so I did Elena Hester R, and uh, that's that's I think on every social media platform. So Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever. Like some social medias I don't use as much, but it's the same across all of them. And do you have any predictions for season two for? tell me lies like anything that you predict happening I think hmm, um honestly the finale was so crazy even I am stumped I'm like where where do the writers go with this next I mean really 